Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome back. It's great to be back with Schooled with a Professor. And boy, do we have a great one for you this week. Mike Tannenbaum, former general manager of New York Jets, ran the Miami Dolphins, was an agent at different points, and now works for ESPN. But I'll tell you the one thing that you've got to jump on is that he has a new uh, email thing that comes out with a 33rd team report, which is fantastic because it mixes you know evaluations, analytics, information, great stuff. Mike, uh, tell us how you got started with the 33rd team report. Yeah, John, thank you so much. And it's great to be with you. And, uh, you know, you're someone that I greatly admire and appreciate. And uh, the 33rd team is something I'm very proud of because it uh, really combines two of my biggest passions, which is uh, the love of football and the love of helping others. And um, when I was fortunate enough to get my position at ESPN, um, I quickly realized that uh, it was an overwhelming amount of work to do. And um, I went back to my roots at the University of Massachusetts um, and their sports management program and uh, just started with some grad students helping me. And then really just like organically, John, it just started like all these former head coaches and GMs um, just started like we started having like weekly calls. So this past week, for example, we had Mark Trespin break down Carson Wentz, good and bad. We had Dan Quinn break down play calling tendencies. We had Joe Banner break down Carson Wentz's contract. And every week we have grad students do deep looks on certain topics from an analytics standpoint. And we have, you know, very accomplished people in the industry. And I call it, John, the, the two E's. We have a ton of experience and we have a ton of energy from the students. And hopefully if I could help them get to where they want to go one day, and I know it's made me a, a much better broadcaster. Um, it's just something that I'm I'm very passionate about. Now, how can everybody get a hold of this? Well, if you go to our website, the33rdteam.com, and basically the way I came up with that, John, was um, there's 32 teams, and I told the students that I will give you a full experience of what it's like to work for a team. And we have meetings. We watch, draft, watch tape together. Um, and I really run things like we were with a team. So, you know, little things, but it's important to me, like being on time, typos, um, being, you know, your absolute best, it, it all matters. And um, so if you go to the 33rdteam.com, I think uh, hopefully you'll find the content to be, you know, uh, thought-provoking and, and interesting. That's great stuff. So from the evaluations that you have, the coaches have, the general managers and all that stuff, how do you kind of look at the way this season has gone? Because it's it's changing, and not ta- talking about the virus or anything like that, but just on the field. What, what are you sensing? What are you seeing? I would put it into a couple different buckets. First of all, like by and large, I give players and coaches a lot of credit. You know, no offseason program, no preseason games. So, you know, that that is um, – you know, pretty significant that I think we've had competitive games, compelling games. But I think now, and I'm going to put something out on social media about this soon, is I think we're going to go really into like a bifurcation of similar to what we saw in the NBA where we're going to have the playoff uh, sort of uh, like bubble, what we saw in Orlando, and then we're going to have the others. And um, basically, you know, with that, John, I think we're going to see teams, and I'm just picking a name from last night, like, at some point, the Patriots need to know what they have in Jared Stenham. And I think as teams get eliminated, we're going to have to see younger players play because they didn't have, they have not had time to develop. So I think we're going to see another bucket of players 
that will start playing for teams because there's no way to develop players right now. So if you're going to 2021 and you have to make decisions on guys, you need to have more information than what you have now. Well, particularly because of, with your salary cap knowledge, and I don't know where you estimate the cap is going to be. The floor is $175 million, and that's going to have such a major impact because you've got, uh, you know, particularly in the NFC, <clears throat> where you have, you know, Philadelphia, $80 million over the cap, Saints, $100 million over the cap, Atlanta, San Francisco, they have issues. And, you know, this league is going to get so much younger because they're going to have to break up a lot of these big contracts on guys that are older. Yeah, and I think what we're going to see, John, is more of the money going to less of the players. We saw a number of contracts get done. Um, Marlon Humphrey, Jalen Ramsey, you know, just to name a few. But the bigger contracts we've seen, um, you're going to have the haves. And I think we have a very, very small middle class. I think if you look at the Saints and the Eagles in particular, you know, players like Deshaun Jackson or um, certainly Alshon Jeffrey, like they're just not going to be there. And, you know, it, um you're going to have guys that have to be there that are going to get paid. And then you're going to see a lot of players that, you know, they're just going to, the middle class, I think is going to erode, especially next year with some of these teams that have high priced players. So how do you see uh, players taking this? Because if the cap does go down $20 million or so, you know, they're going to be going on the contracts from this year and thinking they're going to get the same value, if not more, where I just can't see that happening. I mean, we already know that the franchise tag, if everything goes the way it could be, could drop 20, 25% because we saw in 2011 that uh, even with the cap staying level, it dropped about 20%. And so all of a sudden those tags that were, you know, 18 million could be 15 million and they're, they're thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be a $22 million tackle and getting that. I, I just don't see a lot of that happening next year. Yeah, I think that's right, John. And I think what's, this is where you're going to have to see. And I think the franchise area is one, but John, you know, the other one to me is uh pay cuts. So what happens when, you know, there's a good player who's going to be asked to take a reduction. And we're going to see that, you know, all over the place. Um, and it could be, again, going back to Philadelphia, um, or it could be on an extension like Zach Ertz. Like, you know what, Zach Ertz, we like you, but guess what? We have Dallas Godert, and we can't pay you what Travis Kelsey got, or we can't pay you what George Hill got. And this is where we're going to have to see, you know, an effective, you know, an agent have to do his job well, which is to really understand where the market is. Because for, let's face it, for Zach Ertz, it may not be where it once was, just to name an example. Or someone like Deshaun Jackson, like, I know you don't want to take a pay cut, Deshaun, but what the Eagles are offering you is going to be way better than what else is out there. And those are going to be really challenging conversations. I think on the franchise tag, John, that's a little bit more of a binary, it, you know, you sign it or you don't. And then, of course, I think the most fascinating one is going to be, you know, Dallas, because Dak Prescott, and I'm not, uh, to a certain extent, I'm being facetious, but in a lot of ways, I'm not. You could really make an argument that he should be strongly considered to be uh, in the MVP discussion because look at where they've gone without him. I mean, he is so consequential to that franchise that despite this unbelievable injury, you could say that his value actually has gone up. Oh, yeah, and that's <clears throat> and that's the problem that the Cowboys have is that, what, I think their top eight cap players right now make over $100 million, and the franchise tag is going to be 37.7 for Prescott if they do that. I mean, they wouldn't have enough room if it's $175 million to field the rest of the team. 
And so guys like uh, Lolo Collins is going to have to go. You wonder about them trading Amari Cooper with C.D. Lamb doing so well. They're going to have to make a lot of changes just to accommodate Dak Prescott. Yeah, and, you know, but the flip side of that pancake is, John, like, if Dak Prescott walks out the door, like, I think, he, like, Washington comes into play for sure. You know, what about Philadelphia? What, what would Philadelphia give for Dak Prescott, given what's happened with Carson? You know, like, it really becomes a tremendously interesting discussion. Yeah, it really does. I mean, that's why I'm so fascinated. I, I mean, I spend, <clears throat> I can't tell you how many hours a day just looking at, you know, the possibilities for next year's cap. I always say I study this year's cap and then just how the negotiations are going to go. And the one thing that we, we even see this year is that some of these contracts that have the new money that's seemingly bloated, they're, they're really deals like, for example, Patrick Mahomes, he signed his deal, which everybody is you know saying is $45 million, but in the first two years of the contract, this year and next year, he's not getting a dime more than he was scheduled to make. That's right. Yeah, he just took the guarantees, which is certainly understandable. Um, but again, I, I think what's so interesting is what what is the good aging veteran player going to do? And, you know, pay cuts are hard to negotiate. I've done a lot of my career. They are not fun. They are not easy. So, um, that's one of those things where, um, again, this is where I think agents are going to have very, very challenging calls with their clients. Yeah. I guess the one thing that uh, can boast things up a little bit on the cap is that you, you would have to anticipate that they're going to do the 17th game, which, of course, I think they can get big money for that. Uh, and then, you know, see where they go with the streaming uh, interest on outside of DirecTV or with DirecTV or wherever. That can boost things up a little bit. But still, it's going to be a big drop in the cap. There, there is. I, but I think. You know, John, there'll be some, you know, new money coming in from uh, gambling and, you know, other sources with new TV deals. So I wonder if they'll try to smooth it out. So I think there may be a drop. But to what extent, um, I, I think, you know, they're going to try to get as much information as possible because the cap going down, John, is really bad for the sport, both from the team and the, uh, you know, no one wants to see a purge of good players out on the streets, you know. And, again, you don't want to be in a situation where every team has, like, five great players, and then the minimum, you know, as you well know, John, we're in the ultimate team sport. So, you know, Lyle Collins, like we already talked about a bunch of them, like those are the players, like we don't want to see those players get cut. And I think that's going to be a big difference between 175 and 185 from a cap standpoint. Let's switch over to the football side of it. What what are you seeing from the field? Because the one thing, and this is an observation by me, I think others, a few others share, I don't know how many, is that without the off-season program or without preseason games, I think defenses in an offensive year tend to wear down by the fourth quarter. And so, for example, I think I counted up, there's about 49 uh, fourth quarter comebacks. There's been 37 games that a team has come back from a double-digit uh, deficit to be able to win. Our defenses basically were this year, it's hard to get a guy on defense, unless he's a secondary guy, uh, to really hold up for 60 to 65 plays? Yeah, I think conditioning has been a big factor. Um, you know, it's an interesting point how that's affected you know, defenses, and I think the quality of play has gotten better over the course of the season, um, you know, but with that said, we are still seeing, you know, soft tissue injuries, um, and we'll have all the data by the end of the year in terms of, you know, things like missed games, but um, I, I do think there's a little bit of a sense of, like, in these one-score games, John, 
whoever has the ball last seems to win. You know, like we're seeing these epic comebacks, and I think part of that is conditioning. I think part of that is just the way the rules have been so skewed to the offense right now. I thought Nick Saban made an interesting comment about, you know, to win consistently now, you just got to be able to score every time. And, you know, you could look at Alabama, and they've had obviously some great defensive players. But clearly, like when you look at what you're putting out on the uh, offensive side, and in particular with receivers, it's clear that they put a, a massive, massive emphasis on that. Oh yeah, no question, and that's uh, <clears throat> it, it's kind of interesting that defenses are catching up a little bit. But going back to the injury thing, I know that you, we go back to 2011. I still remember seeing you down in Atlanta where we where they did the final thing on getting the uh, lockout ended. But <clears throat> what what ends up happening is that you get the soft tissue injuries where Achilles tendon injuries. You know they're maybe staying close to where they were. We're up to 37 ACL injuries, hamstring injuries back in 2011. I had a 44% increase, and I just know even last week, because I have to chart all the injuries as the games come in, there had to be more than, uh, you know, a dozen hamstring injuries, and I know you keep track of that. Yeah, and I think those are all related, John, you know, um, and even though, again, we're getting into the later parts of the season where, you know, guys should be in better shape, um, that it, this is such an unusual year. I, I think the other interesting part of this, John, will be what kind of systemic changes will be made in the future just in terms of will we see uh, an emphasis on conditioning with less meeting time or more virtual time to have more time for, uh, like, like what I'm hearing from coaches is, like, there's some efficiencies with Zoom meeting time, and will that pretend to allow more time for conditioning to try to, alleviate this injury concern. I think there's a lot of things that um, teams and and possibly even the Players Association will want to revisit once this year is over. Yeah, no doubt. And it's a year of study. No, that's, because, but somehow, some way, they've made it through, uh, what, 193 games with none being canceled. It became close, but they've been able to do it. <clears throat> but, of course, now, uh, I, one of the things I chart, as you know, is that I, I keep track of missed starts. And I think by this weekend, in uh, week 14, uh, that it's going to top any year in the last, say, six years since I've been following it. Because uh, injuries right now, as far as missed starts, and I'm not double-dipping because I just take the starters at the beginning and the starters who move into the starting jobs, not their backups who get hurt and take over. They're up. They're, it's right now uh, 20 to 25% up compared to last year and the years prior to that. Wow. That much, huh? Yep. Yeah. In fact, uh, yeah, because again, this I think the most that I had uh, was eighteen hundred, and I think this weekend it's going to top eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred missed starts in the league. Yep. Now some wow. of the now of course one and I am including uh, the viruses and some suspensions in that, but uh, we have a minimum number of suspensions and a lot of you know starters who are going to miss because of positive tests or contacts and things like that, and that shoots the number up significantly. Yeah, and I wonder if that's a number that the league and the union would have anticipated going all the way back to, uh, you know, the spring when they started to, you know, tweak the rules. I think it is because I tell you the one guy that I do respect is J.C. Treader, the new president of the union, because right when they were in the, uh, negotiating this summer, he came out with the 
uh, stats from 2011 when there was no offseason program and said, okay, we, they'll go back then, 44% increase in hamstring injuries, double the Achilles tears, over 50 ACL tears. And, I mean, he's been right on. And, of course, this one's a little bit even worse because not only was there no offseason program, but there was no preseason games. That's right. So, yeah, it's going to yeah, be. And, um, again, it'll be interesting, though, to see if, where are we in a year from now, John? Will we be seeing 17 regular season games? One pre, like I think again, we'll, we'll, talking to people in the league, they they will tell you that um, there have been much greater uh, efficiencies, like in the meeting time. How that again corresponds to less time um, on the you know in the building or conditioning. You know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think we could be seeing a different sort of schedule next year. Oh, yeah, no question. I think a lot of things have been learned from this year that can carry to the future and make for an interesting. But but the, the Zoom things have worked out great. I guess the one thing that's now, and, of course, you can appreciate that from the, the jobs that you had, is that uh, you know, how, how can you scout? Because traveling is such a difficult thing right now, and I know you have Zoom interviews and things like that, but you know, I can't even say right now what they're going to do for the Combine. I know they can have a bubble thing for that, but you know, I don't know if media is going to be allowed to attend. I don't know what that's going to happen, but even doing a Combine is going to be tough. Oh, yeah, Senior Bowl, um, all those things. Um, I hope we have a Senior Bowl, but to me that's going to be you know, really difficult. Um, and we'll see, like, you know, for the combine, we'll just be medical, you know, will all the interviews be virtual? All those things will, uh, all those things are kind of up, up in the air right now. Kind of wrapping things up, I would be remiss if I don't ask you about the team that you used to run, the New York Jets. Uh, how do you look at what's happened to that team? Well, you know, as uh, someone that closely follows the franchise, obviously it's disappointing. Um, I, I never thought that, uh, they would be in this position to be John. You know, I had success with Coach Gase, um, you know, just from a standpoint of when we were together in Miami, we went to the uh, playoffs, won 10 games. And it's just, I thought Sam Darnold maybe wasn't going to be a top frontline guy. But, I, and, you know, John, does it go back, you know, a little bit to last year maybe where he was in, he was out. Again, we've talked about this quite a bit on this podcast. But, again, you know, no offseason program, no training camp. You know, so maybe this was interesting. It was two weeks ago. It was the first time that Darnold got under center with their top three players in Brashad Perryman, Denzel Mims, and Jamison Crowder. And, you know, you need time to let that grow and develop. And I'm not making excuses because everyone has their challenges. But, gosh, John, I, I, I really did not think we'd be sitting here talking about a winless team. Yeah. Well, I still go back to uh, Colt McCoy back in his second year in the league, which was 2011, and he said when he didn't have the off-season program, and of course this was in his young part of his career, he said it set him back his entire career because you know he didn't get a chance to have OTAs, he didn't get to have a chance to have mini camp, he was able to be there for uh, training camp, but again, it it just stunted his growth, and I, fortunately he's had a good long career in this league, but I think quarterbacks definitely are affected by not having the off-season program. Yeah, and um, I think we're again going back to what we talked about earlier, John. I think we're going to see again teams that are starting to get eliminated. Um, we're going to see other guys starting to play because you've got to learn what you have. You know, Gardner Minshew with Jacksonville is he a one? Is he a two? Um, you know, you could literally go like team by team. You know, the Chargers are obviously playing. You know, Justin Herbert. Um, 
but that's something that we're going to have to see. And it's hard to even say it, but, you know, if it's New England, for example, um, if they're eliminated, which, you know, they're on the outside looking in at, after last night, John, like, don't they have to know what they have in Jarrett Stidham? Like, if you're, you know, one of the great things about Coach Belichick, one of the many great things about him is, you know, he's always forward-looking. And uh, I'm sure that's something that has crossed their mind. Michael Tannenbaum, hey, thank you so much for joining us on Schooled with the Professor. And, of course, I'll be watching you on ESPN. But also, once again, get the uh, 33rd team on 33rdteam.com. Thanks, John. Always great to be with you and uh, keep up the great work. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor. Professor.